when you write policy that's sort of fear-driven in that way, it's bad policy. And, it w and if the central goal is, let's make our children safer, I question and I directly ask the public, where, how, how does it do that? This measure uh, will not increase safety in Boulder. It will not increase safety for children in Boulder because it's the same thing that we're doing. If you see something that's like an illness, you know, treat the um, cause and that will cure the illness. And I, I'm tired of this world where we think we can all work individually and somehow survive. survive. We can't. We're, we're in this together. cannot have public safety when there are people experiencing extreme lack of safety in our community. And when that starts to impact others, our first response should be like, what have we done wrong here? What should yeah. we do to fix it? Yeah. Not a stopgap, not a, I need to, you to be out of here, away from my site. Actual solutions. Hello, Boulder and the wider world. This is the Sharing Boulder podcast. My name is Philip Ogren, and for episode 42, I spoke with Katie Farnan and Doug Hamilton about their efforts to encourage voters to reject a ballot initiative called Safe Zones for Kids. Their campaign is called Solutions Not Safe Zones, which challenges the conventional wisdom that a ballot measure that addresses the safety of our children is necessarily good policy. We met outside the Boulder Public Library and discuss the merits of voting for a ballot measure that they argue is both not helpful, but worse, will be counterproductive. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Katie Farnan and Doug Hamilton. We ain't throwing starfish here, now we're having a good party. Talking about structural change. We believe the land is sacred, even beneath that vacant parking lot. But the weeds are doing their best to express the need Something different Gonna make some space for you and me To live here all together Gonna make it safe and fun For kids to get around the town Gonna find me a residential pedestrian district Where I can gracefully grow older Gonna spend my remaining years Sharing Boulder Hello Katie and Doug, welcome to Sharing Boulder Thanks so much for uh, being here today Thanks um, for having do, us Yeah, do you mind uh, introducing yourself? Uh, Briefly. Sure. Uh, my name is Katie Farnan. Uh, she, her pronouns. I live in Boulder and mom of two and uh, former librarian, co-lead for Solutions Not Safe Zones. Great. Thank you. Doug. I'm Doug Hamilton, uh, also co-lead of the Solutions Not Safe Zones. And uh, I've lived in Boulder for 10 years. Let's see. I have two kids in Centennial Middle School, two girls. and. Um, yeah, uh, that's me. Well, um, I'm Philip Ogren. I have a high school senior at Boulder High, and um, there are people, homeless people, living under the bridge at 17th. Mm -hmm. What can we do about this? 
maybe uh, maybe the safe zones is just the thing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I I guess what we can do about it is a is a big question, right? Yeah. This year on our ballot is one uh, question about uh, prohibiting. Um, uh, or prohibiting prohibited what they call prohibited items, which are like tents and propane tanks uh, within 500 feet of a school or 50 feet of any sidewalk in the city of Boulder. Um, so what we kind of say in the campaign is basically um, that uh, most of this stuff is already being done by the city. In fact, um, at least as of you know Friday, um, those items are already being collected. Over 91 tons of material and 366 camps have been swept within the city of Boulder uh, just this year. Uh, close to you know three to four million dollars is being spent on it. So what the um, proponents of this measure are trying to do is, I guess, codify that into um, into Boulder City code such that it can't be changed ever again without a vote of the people. Um, so it would be pretty much a citywide camping ban um, and uh, that can't be changed except for the will of the, you know, the voters of the city. Um, you know, as a campaign, we believe that these measures aren't working and that doing more of them probably won't do anything kind of enshrining it as the thing we have to do might, might be even worse. Yeah, I think that um, from my perspective is, I, I, I've said this many times before, but um, I, I'm a Afghanistan war veteran. And um, so I'm very familiar with <laughs> the use of force to, um, to remove people from areas. And I think um, from my perspective, um, it just, it usually never works, um, at least in the long term, right? And I think that um, we need to find actual solutions to get people off the streets in Boulder. And there's actually things that do that, that are you know data-driven and research-driven. So, yeah. Well, um, Katie, maybe tell us a little bit about how this campaign against the, the safe zones, solutions, not safe zones, came together. Yeah, I mean, I had been following and my friends have been following Safe Zones petitioners. They were petitioning earlier this year. Um, I saw them collecting petitions. I heard about it and I read stories related to them ramping up these petitions. And I didn't hear much discourse on the issues with their petition. I mean, certainly amongst uh, my circle, I, I heard people talking about it, but I didn't hear a broader conversation. Mm -hmm. And Doug, you know, approached me and we talked about starting an opposition campaign because of that, I think. It was basically, we didn't see enough of a deeper discussion going on. And um, that's one thing that you can get when you start, when you actually file an official campaign committee is you get to enter the discourse. And so I think that was our, our primary um, objective was to deepen the conversation and talk about exactly why um, Safe Zones for Kids is poorly written policy that will not bring about the safety that we all deserve here in this community. I, I always have kind of a reflexive instinctive concern when, when it's a, and because this this proposal has very much like it's for the children kind of a flavor to it which always makes me brings out my cynical side and, um, but but then again it's like 
hey, we're trying to make things safer for children. Mm -hmm. So like, what's what could possibly be bad about this proposal? Well, I guess I would say <clears throat> that is a completely understandable uh, goal to have. We're all parents here. Uh, we all want that. We all want our children to be protected and we want children to be safe. Um, policy that's driven though by that emotional response and that's the sole driver is um, when you write policy that's sort of fear driven in that way, it's bad policy. And, it w and if the central goal is let's make our children safer, I question and I directly ask the public where, how, how does it do that? Because we already have a camping ban, as Doug mentioned, 92.6 tons of material removed to date this year, 366 encampments cleaned. That hasn't, we're still in this reality where people are frustrated and aggravated by that, right? With the camping ban in full force. The people perceive that the camping ban isn't in place because too many people are falling into homelessness and the city can't keep up, okay? It's already illegal to have um, prohibited items in public spaces and the police don't need to wait 72 hours. So one of the big things with Safe Zones for Kids is there's a frustration around the city's delay, a perceived delay that these encampments have been around and nothing has been done, right? Yeah. I wanna know in the 52 words of the Safe Zones for Kids ballot measure, where anything compels the city to change its safety approach. And we already know from the city itself in a memo from April 13th, 2023, that the city manager, the police chief, the director of the Safe and Managed Spaces program, the city attorney, a bunch of city staff wrote a memo and said, safety zones around schools do not add to our existing toolkit for enforcement. And so again, just asking, how do we make our public spaces safer? Safe Zones for Kids doesn't do that. And we should be talking about that before we put something in our municipal code that cannot be repealed except by another ballot measure. Yeah, and I think um, part of my impetus, and I wrote an op-ed about this in March, I think, of this year, was that um, <laughs> we're also going to spend an inordinate amount of public debate time, public um, effort and then eventually money and resources right to this um, effort <coughs> which all the homeless experts that i've talked to and all of the people that um, even in, in law enforcement and others that i talk to uh, say it's not going to make a difference but we're gonna but we're gonna do it anyway it's like it's like taking an extra pill that you know is not going to help you right like this medicine is not going to be helpful and just if I can add to that too, um, so the question might be, why, why are we doing this then? If it's not gonna change anything, why would we be spending our time? There's a very good reason, there's two reasons. The first reason is if something doesn't work, we should not be doing more of it. We shouldn't be directing finite time, resources, staff, money, personnel, effort into doing something that is ineffective. But the second reason is also that I think that this measure is a law and order measured measure designed for a political end to bring people out to vote on a particular feeling about what they think Boulder should be doing, right? And we should and this measure is kind of saying we should be doing more enforcement, right? Let's say that that happens. Let's say that despite what we know, which is that everything is already happening in the prioritization structure of the city, there's already all of these tools already in the toolkit, but let's say that this actually 
compels the police or the city to direct the police to really enforce harder right here where we are in the downtown area. What is 500 feet from Boulder High? Pearl Street, the library, Uni so, Hill so neighborhood. Under the bridge, under the, yeah. 500 feet. Uh, is uh, not far. Is not far. No. Yeah, so. so, but let's say that it actually is so aggressive. Let's say the city becomes really aggressive using safe zones for kids as this mandate to really protect that, make it a, a totally no one here, right? Where do those, where do people go? And I'm talking about in reality, not like a rhetorical question. In reality, they will go elsewhere. And that means additional camps, additional interactions in, in the city area, additional sanitation issues, additional fire risk, going into the foothills, going in other places. So now we have additional problems we don't have now. So it's like it could either do nothing and then we're back here again in eight months talking about the same thing, or it does have some movement and it would be temporary, right? Because really when you have no other alternative options, you're gonna sweep, move, sweep, move, return. It's, it's an endless cycle. Yeah. You know, one of the things that came up, I was, I was started reading your website this morning and um, you know, the, the 500 feet from schools, yeah, that makes sense. I don't want propane tanks being used near my kids' schools, right? Uh, but the 50 feet from any public sidewalk seems crazy. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, aren't there public sidewalks all over the city? And the point you made in the website is like, like draw the map of like the spaces that aren't 50 within 50 feet of a right. public sidewalk. So that's our priority yeah. is like the entire city is our new our new safe zone. You know, it's kind of a like it's not a focused approach right. if that's what they're going for. Yeah, I, I think we brought that up. And I guess if, you know, if it is really about children and schools, right, then you would, you know, and ostensibly this was originally about Boulder High, the, the three uh, petitioners. I believe have students at Boulder High or, or did have students there. And um, you might just say Boulder High, right? <laughs> like I, I didn't draft the language, um, but if you're trying to, you know, in any legislative like um, endeavor, and I believe some of them are lawyers, um, so they would should know this, that you would probably um, draft, you know, the remedy to, to narrowly cure the harm, if that's what it is. So it, why every school, there's only, you know, it doesn't include every school in BVSD because um, some of them are outside the city. So if you lived in uh, Louisville or Lafayette or something like that, it, your, your school wouldn't be protected by this. But um, yeah, it, it seems overly broad. And again, propane tanks within 500 feet of a school are already against the law exactly. in Boulder. <laughs> you can't, yeah. and, and there's no reason why the police should wait. Now, if there's frustration around how the city is doing that, then we should talk about what specific approaches would make that better and a ballot measure that you know is codified into the law is not going to do that. I would also say too that I feel like a lot of the work that BVSD is doing right now is overlooked. They just had a security update on August 22nd where they spent time with their school safety advocate program where they did a day in the life and school safety advocates replaced the SROs um, in, Bold in Boulder Valley schools. Um, they repealed that in uh, 2020. All right, we use SRO as single room occupancy mostly <laughs> in this podcast. So you're gonna have to give us- uh, 
school resource officer and and they are employees of the police department and they're tied directly into the criminal justice system and the removal of sros was a win for bvsd because it you know studies show that interactions with police between police and students often results in more entry into the school to prison pipeline and kids are often interacting with police in unproductive ways that cause them to enter that system. School safety advocates are former police officers, but they're not tied into the police department. So their job is safety and they they patrol the area around the schools. They escort students uh, ahead of time. They walk the paths. Also, the, the administration at Boulder High, this was in the update, you know, definitely is talking back and forth with police on a regular basis. And we know that the police response time to incidents at Boulder High is under 60 seconds. And all of these things together, we should also be talking about because those are actual solutions to the area in question that people are doing now. And I can't tell someone you should feel safe because of that. That's you have to decide for yourself. Right. But as a community, we have to decide what are effective public safety measures, right, that we can implement across the city that don't make it worse or don't you know reiterate policy we already have therefore giving people some false sense that we're doing something when we're not yeah like this is productive use of time like one thing that occurs to me is um you know just to pick a random elementary school eisenhower imagine uh an encampment showed up in the soccer field and they had propane tanks out there like it's it's hard to imagine that the city wouldn't effectively and very quickly um dismantle that and tell them to move on or, right. you know. Yeah, and I don't think um, in this case that the encampments were actually on Boulder High property. Right. Maybe uh, they were within 500 they, feet. They, they were within 500. Yeah. They were along the creek path. They were um, sure. over, uh, yeah, near near the um, civic yeah. center over there. So, um, but, but close to the soccer mm-hmm. fields and, you know, um, just yeah. outside. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we have to have rules for spaces and, and, um, and I think that the city is actually is doing an okay job at setting those rules and governing those spaces. And if they see a dangerous situation, I, they're supposed to, to stop it. So, um, yeah. you, you had a really nice analogy that I use now when I'm talking about this, which is the three stages. Yes, this comes from a book, actually, um, Homelessness is a Housing Problem. And we mentioned it on our website. So, I mean, I I didn't create this, but like you look at homelessness as a a system, right? You have three kind of buckets. Um, You have people about to go into or moving into homelessness. Super housing insecure in their current living Right, right. Yeah. And there's lots of books. There's actually a great book I'm actually finishing up here now called Evicted. You have people spending 50, 60, 70% of their income on housing. And then you have people within, and most of those people, 90%, 95 are within the market-based housing system. And then you have people that are homeless. And so when you're homeless, you can be sheltered or unsheltered, right? So if you go to the shelter, you you're still shel- you're sheltered, but you're still homeless. If you if you go to a sanctioned campsite, um, you're still a homeless, you know, whatever. Uh, but you're but you're sheltered. Um, but or if you're leaving in a tent, you're unsheltered. They consider it. And then you have people leaving homelessness, right? So we spend a lot of money on the middle pot and talk and, and talk and discussion. That's what we're all talking in. But now, right? Um, but like housing first has been proven. Um, it's not perfect. Like, you know, there are people that can't go right into housing. They need help, but, um, in other ways, and there's people also working on that, but getting people housing in the community court has shown this 
with like the high utilizers when they get into housing and stable housing that their incidents with the police almost disappeared to almost nothing. So only one in five people, I think, in Boulder that qualify for housing assistance get it. Um, so I, it's about one in five. I don't know exactly, exactly but um, the, the people that qualify for housing assistance don't get it. And so, um, so if you're, you know, in homelessness is a housing problem people found is when they looked at geographic areas, what they call COCs, like LA and Chicago or Seattle and Houston, these two areas, when they statistically measured for mental health, addiction, uh, unemployment and poverty, um, and even political persuasions like Republican or Democrat, that the only consistent variable that showed uh, any correlation with uh, homeless, the rates of homelessness was median incomes or median uh, rents and yes. vacancy rates. Mm -hmm. So as you get like something like median rents within 30% of median incomes, uh, then you start to see larger. So uh, can, can I just like yeah. close the loop on one aspect that, that, yeah. that, that that's implied is that um, no matter how uh, effective your camping ban is, it doesn't correlate to increased or decreased homelessness. Right. No. Right, like it's like it is two kind of completely right. different. I mean, after COVID, homelessness increased. It's at the highest rate that it's been since 2017 in Boulder County, despite the implementation of the revamped camping ban in 2021. We just saw homelessness increase. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and that as the ends of child tax credits, there's, you know, 600 and something mm -hmm. ch children in Boulder County that are homeless uh, or in well, BVSD school districts. Um, so the end of the, the eviction moratoriums, when you start pulling away yeah. all the resources people have, um, you know, I think you, you hear from EFA that they're at their highest rates of food insecurity right now. They're, they're serving more people than they ever have. You pulled away the child tax credits and a lot of other things that were supporting people. And, you know, I think they said something like 25% um, of the Boulder County population lives underneath the like sustainable professional. That was a, another statistic that came out and, earlier. And our solution to that can't be simply to reiterate uh, enforcement to get them to move on. And by them, I do mean pretty much everybody who is housing insecure and homeless. We see the most visible homeless people here, right? There's lots of homeless people that are invisible. They're living with friends. They're living in cars. We don't see them. There's many, many more of them. Yeah. But the most visible homeless folks are right here. And that's who we're talking about here. And, you know, when people say, well, what's the solution to that? It's multi-pronged, just kind of as Doug was implying, there's, you know, the entry into homelessness and helping people exit the two buckets that we don't spend much time on at all. Like certainly some policymakers are trying to work on that. They need more. They need more public people telling them to do that. We need to be louder about these are the things that we need to have happen. If we actually want to reduce homelessness, we're never going to solve it. Like we have extreme wealth inequality, but we can do something to reduce it. Yeah. So I think I think what I'm hearing is that, you know, just just having this campaign that says, hey, uh, city council, you need to focus even more on these policies that you're already doing and are kind of basically orthogonal to 
the increase or decrease in homelessness. Beyond but, city council. Yeah, it's beyond, it's yeah. the county as well and the state, but like it's a law diminishing returns, right? So it's, it's like pumping more money into the military. It's like pumping more money into this. You're, you're just not going to get the benefit that you want. I, I, I don't know the exact statistics of public campers, but I, I think when I last heard it was something around 100, 120 people in the city. Um, so we're talking about a city of 100,000 people and we're talking about a population of like 120 people. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, to put that into scale. It's, on, it's also, it's addressable. We yeah. can address it. Yeah, yeah. It's not, and homelessness took decades to make, right? There's lots yeah. of things that happen in the 60s, 70s onward with our housing um, policy, with the way we treated uh, mental health patients in institutions. There's lots of ways that we created homelessness over decades. Anybody saying that, that they have a stopgap or a short-term fix is is not um, is not looking at like the conditions and the situation that we're in right now. It's not a quick fix, but in the short term, we should be doing things to pre to push and pressure lawmakers and policymakers. Uh, and the public to do something, speak up, right? Because it will take time to get some of these things in place. Yeah, enforcement is not gonna, you know. I, I, the other problem is, is most of the high utilizers within, you know, Boulder County or the city of Boulder, uh, they go to the community court. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, from what the chief says is right. the court is, the jail is full. And so like they get released back out. So, you know, you can keep ticketing. It's like trying to squeeze blood from a turnip. And the, the actual things that's that a horrible metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the actual benefits are like harm reduction. And I, um, you know, there's people that have come up with, you know, plans on opening the detox center and wraparound right. housing, uh, you know, services and communities where I, um, that's in my view. So before I was working on this, I was working on looking at trying to put together a mental health um, district to provide mental health services. But I stopped because I'm like, well, if we're going to go spend money on this, like that, I think that there's a mental health center in Laramie County that was constructed. And I think it's operating budget is like something like $8 million a year or something like that. Um, and they spent like eight, eight to $12 million to build it. Well, we're spending $4 million a year on enforcement. Mm -hmm. So like 1.3 million more this year alone right. for the safe and managed yeah. spaces. So program. Like when you look, look at it, it's like probably, so the, the general fund I think is going to be somewhere around $400 million of which probably some of that's committed to other things. We're going to be spending one to 2% of the city budget on just encampment cleanups. And we, this was a problem we didn't have prior to 2021. I was reading about, um, uh, the care program that's they're trying to bring online that has a, a $800,000 budget um, for um, a response, non-police non response. Um, yeah. And um, I was reading Shea Castle's uh, article on the budget that that was just unveiled, uh, you know, just discussed uh, in recent weeks. And um, there was an item in there. And I, I mean, it's, it's easy to kind of like pull disparate things together and try to make a narrative. But there was a thing in there that said that they're going to spend $51.5 million to renovate the East Boulder Community Center. 
which is a place that I adore and I, I you know, really value because it brings a lot of different people together. I, you mm. know, I, I found myself in a in a basketball game once where I was the only English speaker, oh, and so yeah. like I find it yeah, to be yeah. like a really valuable place that builds community. Yeah. But when you sort of like mm-hmm. put fifty one point five million dollars for renovating that versus the seven hundred thousand dollars, and mm. I know that the yeah. the whole homeless budget is much more than that but but it, it does it speaks to like where our priorities are in terms of solving these problems well i don't know if that is that federal is there any federal grants or funds uh, yeah that probably, could be, it's yeah, probably it problematic for me to but i get it like if this is a huge crisis why aren't we doing that i i think um well there's a myth around people coming to boulder or it's nationwide really is that people presume that every people are attracted yeah. to services and that's just not the case with the data um, that people tend to be homeless in their place of last residence. Only a quarter of Boulder residents are from here. So everyone has Everybody, come, right. you know, come from someplace right. else. And actually, you know, I usually start off with that question to city council candidates because I think it's very telling to say everyone. I don't think anyone on city council was, you know, born here. in yeah. it, um, or in our county commissioners. So I, I don't know, but uh, I met somebody down at mutual aid, um, homeless who was born and raised in South Boulder, went to Boulder high. Ouch. Yeah. And he's a, like in his thirties now. Um, it, it's, it's a, it's a question, you know, where are people from? I, I know that comes up a lot and it's hard to know the data. People move around a lot, just like housed and unhoused people. So, um, the, the, the fact is that, you know, regional and statewide and national support to this issue is why it's so crucial um, that we get. But get I, I would say that because I can hear I can always hear in my head like, OK, well, what would someone say to that when we talk about the fact that it takes some time? Right. And on the flip side, we have uh, proponents of safe zones for kids saying this is a stopgap. Everybody I've talked to when I've talked to them about this, um, people I don't know so well, just asking if they've heard of it. And if they had, that's kind of the overriding sentiment is, well, this is a short term measure just to get us to the safety that we need while we work on the long term, because the whole thing is like we're going to do an all of the above approach. And my argument with that is it's 52 words. Again, nothing in that measure provides the stopgap that I keep hearing, right? Everything in the measure is already contained in our current code. Yeah, you could you could have an expiration date. You could have said stopgap measure. You could say this for two years or something. Instead of a permanent. But I would also say you're ignoring you plural people I'm talking to, it seems to me, the actual measures in place specifically addressing the issues in Boulder High and the issues around the creek. Those measures are in place. And you know if you don't if we don't know about them, we should attend BVSD meetings and learn about their security protocols and we should find out exactly what the city is doing to protect that area we already know from the april 13th 2023 memo they said schools are already at the highest prioritization in their matrix this is something i heard from the proponents of safe zones for kids that they don't know what the prioritization matrix is and they want to make sure that schools get at the top so they're already at the top now what Right now, this measure is telling us 26 schools within the city limits are priority and all sidewalks and not just 50 feet, 50 feet on both sides. Right. So how does that actually give us the stopgap? And I'm just going to keep saying that because I hear that a lot and I don't see it.
And yeah, it, it, once you go down a path, it's hard to turn the boat, right? And yeah. it's like with saving for your future, right? When's the time, the best time to start saving? It's like now, right? Yeah. So the best time to start working on these things is now. And, you know, look at a comprehensive solution, comprehensive um, group of people to working together to do it. And city, like the VA has done it. Um, they've reduced homelessness by 50% among veterans. And I know they get special treatment that veterans do, but <laughs> there's nothing that couldn't extend that to everyone, right? right? right. You know, so like the other piece is uh, the Houston has reduced their homeless. They, they don't even, they don't ha pay, ha pay for any public sheltering in Houston. That's all done by churches and private organizations. Mm -hmm. So like, because they're moving people directly to housing when they can. Now, it, it's it's a different beast, but but the best time to start doing it is now, and, right? And of course, we know there are some things happening, right? There's some transitional housing being built. I wish I knew more about what was going on with the day center, because like I, I, I heard good things and now I'm not sure, but like there's certainly things that, are, there's movement there, but you know, it's not enough to be, and, and, and the other thing is like, this is here and now. We're we're sitting right here in September, you know, two two months ahead of a vote that's going to tell the city which way to go on on this issue, right? And it's a serious issue. It is a serious issue. It is a public safety issue, if I haven't been clear, for everybody to have open camping in public spaces. It is not safe. It is it is not safe for you to be outside in extreme weather with a propane tank as your survival tool, right? So like when I see the sweeps and the encampments sweeps happening, I saw one last month and you know, I saw lots of gear going into the truck. And I'm thinking about that study that shows that the more sweeping you do, the more precarity comes out of that, right? So now you're sweeping people, you're separating them from their survival gear. That's a public safety issue. And doing that more and harder <laughs> and more aggressively is going to lead to more desperation and more precarity. And so I just want to have that conversation yeah, because it's a serious issue. Desperate people do desperate things, right? So, Well, um, so the purpose of your campaign, Solutions Not Safe Zones, is to encourage people to vote no on this ballot measure. So I just want to kind of want to yes. be super Correct. unambiguous about that. And. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know what the profile of the average listener of this episode will be, but I kind of. I kind of imagine a listener who will hear this and want to say thanks to their neighbors or their mm -hmm. friends, family, whatever, about also voting no. So, like, kind of what I, I know we've talked about all of this already, but um, if you don't mind just kind of trying to give me a focused pitch on what I should say to people I speak with about why we should vote no on this measure. Let me take that one. Um, yeah, so this is what I say is um, this measure uh, will not increase safety in Boulder. It will not increase safety for children in Boulder because it's the same thing that we're doing. And it's overly broad. It's going to misfocus resources away from actual things that, you know, data-driven sources like Housing First, like mental health services, like the CARES program. Um, it's going to do all of that. It's going to make the people that are being affected by this more precarious. Um, and also, I think my biggest thing is like, this is the first time in Boulder's history that you were voting on homelessness as an issue in, in Boulder. And the proponents of this measure could have put anything in this measure, but they chose an enforcement only 
solution um, or you know tactic. Yeah, I would I would add to that that we're living in the current reality of safe zones. Yeah, and we're frustrated. We collectively are frustrated. We feel that things are not being done. Doesn't feel safe. I'm Does not right. feel safe to some people. Um, there is a perception that things are not being done the way they should be done. My pitch is: this is safe zones. We're what are you voting here. on? We're already here. We're, we're yeah. already here. What are we voting on? What are we voting on? Because nothing in this measure changes that matrix. Now it could be that there is a political. You know, people said like, "Well, it's a referendum. People are gonna. It's gonna force the hand. It's gonna make the city to do that." Um, that's really complicated because the city's already stated that there isn't more that they can do, right? So what kind of pressure does that put on them? It goes into the municipal code. The city says, "Great, thanks." Enforcement is happening to the extent that we can do it. Police, what, are going to ask for more money? I guess that depends what kind of council we have. And what gets cut? What gets cut for that? When I, when I was a graduate student, we had some funding from the National Library of Medicine for, for grants. And one of the things my research advisor always said is like, when you're, when you're writing a grant, you should include how many lives are you going to save <laughs> through this through yeah. this research like what what yeah. um, ultimate effect and, right. and you know when i think about like this like mm. how many lives is this going to save mm -hmm. uh, or or right. students uh right how many right, right. students will be traumatized by right. propane tanks exploding yeah and I, w I would just add on to that since you brought up students again i i have two kids it's important to me as a parent to talk to my kids kids take cues from trusted adults on how to look at homelessness and homeless yeah. people. Yeah. How adults talk about homeless people matters in the home. I see that with my kids' friends. Um, if you make something seem scary, whether you have a background on that or not, it depends on your own, you know, your own experiences, right? But kids do take those cues, right? So one thing that I do is I make sure that my kids have, we demystify homelessness and we talk about what it means to be homeless, how it happens. Um, actually interacting with people because we're here a lot. We're down here all the time, right? And so I do think that's another part of our mission on this campaign is like, I, I wanna make sure we're raising the next generation of people to be excellent policy analyzers and makers and, dis and discuss discussers. Like we cannot, we cannot project what we think about homeless people onto our kids and into our policy, right? Like, and that is all connected with how we talk about the people in our community who are our neighbors yeah. and everybody's safety. It's important to protect kids. It's important to protect everybody in this community. We all deserve that sense of safety and it should be a part of our policy that we think about how it impacts all of us. Yeah, yeah I mean, just also fear-based policies, you know, if you aren't going to be successful, you can't, you can't yeah. do anything in your life out of, you know, that, that's going to be helpful. Uh, you know, in the long term, out of fear. Yeah, one of the one of the ways this really manifests in political history of the United States is we we declare wars on things, right? Like, and yeah. the war on drugs. I mean, right. so so when I talk mentioned earlier about you know it's for the children makes me makes me cynical. You know, yeah. it kind of echoes the war on drugs, which was all about safety for children. But the effect of it was like incarcerating tens of millions of people. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, or millions of people. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so like, yeah, I, I um having having a fear based approach, you know, it's like it's like literally what Yoda says about um, fear leading to the dark side. It's really not the, the positive yeah. direction. Well, and I think when you put safe and kids in a ballot measure title, 
you're going to have to do a lot of education, not not the people that made it, but the people that are looking at it saying, is, does that really bring us safety? Does that really bring us safety for our kids? Is a safe zone how we get to a safe city? Is, this, is that the same thing? And that's a lot of education that we have to do because a knee-jerk response to safe and kids, we know how that looks but from the yeah. default perspective of sort of just a non-political voter, right? Yeah, and I think what I say a lot too is like, um, I, I also kind of push back that the on people a little bit that visible homelessness or you know even interactions with homelessness have been a number one safety issue for kids in boulder um you know there's you know mental health is is really bad right now amongst teenagers um coming out of covid um and moving to a different world that we live in now um sexual assault and those kind of issues i mean it's more than just like um, of all the issues that kids uh, impaired driving is another big one for Just biking on the road, biking, Just, yeah, distracted yeah. driving, distracted, distracted biking, <laughs> distracted biking. So all of these things are super issues like, um, that I think are, you know, from a safety perspective, um, things that we think, you know, affect kids. And I know that some kids have had negative interactions of homeless of people and, and I, and that's super scary. And I think that, if it was my kid, I, you know, I would try to give them as much support as I could and help around those that fear as I could. And um, yeah, so. I was just also gonna say, there's a non-zero number of students in BBSD that are homeless and their caregivers are housing insecure. Um, there's a point in time count not that long ago that said it was 750. Now, I think some of that is remnants from the Marshall Fire. I'm not exactly sure the, the, the someone told me an updated number that's less than that, but it's still it's several hundred. Yeah, still several hundred. two people from the Marshall Fire. Okay, well then, so... Yeah. So we, you know, when we talk about for the kids, we have to also be thinking about, you know, the more we use this kind of rhetoric that is not accurate or not comprehensive of the actual issues that kids face, I think we do them a disservice. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't want to be a part of something that was, you know, doing a disservice in that way to students and kids because they have real issues and they are very cognizant of what those issues are, right? And we have to be, you know, we've talked about the things that we failed already on with climate change and gun violence. I don't wanna fail my kids on misrepresenting what, what the threats are in this yeah. community. Again, not to say that there aren't things that have happened, but at the same time, like, there are, you know. Yeah, well, if you think about the social isolation, the social anxiety that children have, it's off the charts. Yeah, it's not it's not an occasional like yeah. you read about it in the newspaper yeah. once every year. It's ongoing. It's like this is mm -hmm. like every kid that I know mm -hmm. is struggling in this area, you know, yep. so it's like I think one of the downsides of the sort of return or move back out of COVID was that everything returned except for the support network. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, I think part of what I talked about in my- Support networks for homeless people? For kids, for, kids. For, for homeless people for as well. For everybody. For everyone, I mean, we one of the big- stuff in place <laughs> and then we took it away. Go, going back to, to just homeless in Boulder, um, one of the big reasons we had such a spike in the you know civic center and camping was that 
we cut all those services. <laughs> I think the, the the number of beds at um, at the shelter were cut. People couldn't go into different centers, so they couldn't interact. They, even if you're homeless, you might be scared to go sleep in a shelter with a hundred other people. So part of the camping was a massive cut in services for those groups. And that's the reality of, of saying, well, the proponents have said, we don't, we're not asking for a dollar, but it is what would happen if you look at this as a mandate, right? We just had this conversation with bedrooms and there was a lot of argumentation around the fact that this was the voters have spoken kind of thing, right? <laughs> Say that this is taken and passed. Um, it will be a mandate for policymakers who make it in there if they also support safe zones. And that means very, very realistic, real cuts in a finite budget which could be directly taken from the actual things that are helping us, helping people exit homelessness, or at least helping them have some sort of a temporary reprieve, right? If we're putting more money into enforcement because we have to do it across the whole city now, and you know, certainly residents are gonna look at it like that, right? I'm, you know, the city's supposed to be enforcing everywhere. It's all, all these sidewalks, right? So I have two, two more questions for you, and they, they should be quick. Um, I don't think you heard this. Uh, I was telling Katie this before our conversation. I'm, I'm actually interviewing Terry Bernchich this afternoon. Oh, great, yeah. And um, uh, I guess I would just invite you, what, what, what should I ask her today? <laughs> I know I'm putting you on yeah. the spot. I, I mean, I guess, how is this gonna make folks safer? Yeah. Um, and given that this is what we're doing, um, and how is it a stopgap measure if it's where's the stopgap if it's yeah. only and and how is it narrow to the harm that that people at Boulder High might have seen? What happens in eight months? Yeah, where are we eight months post safe zones being implemented? What what does it look like? And and I and you know point to the specifics in the measure that will compel that change. That's what I want to know because what my, we're living my, in it right my now. My sense is that. We're still going to be angry and frustrated, yeah. you know, like, because, because, like, I mean, how long have we been angry and frustrated and, and uh, you know, sort of hopeless about this issue? It's, a, it's an annual, it's a daily, monthly yeah. conversation yeah. here in Boulder. Absolutely. It's like the main topic of conversation. Yeah. So the other question is, uh, I want to help. What can I do? Go to our website yeah. and sign up. Yeah, uh -huh. sign okay. up. Endorse Great. us. We want Maybe donate a little few, a little money. We have money, okay. yes. Sure. Write letters to the editor, right? Like, so we, you know, that's, we, we need to broaden the conversation. That, that's our whole mission, right? Is to broaden the conversation. A lot of people said, well, I don't, why are you, why are you opposing? And then as we talk to them, there's often an understanding as to why. Yeah. So again, with, with a measure that says safe and kids, we need to have a, a, a very full discussion about it. And the more people that can, can broaden that discussion with us, the better. So, yeah, I'd say talk to your neighbors and talk to you, to your friends. Sign up to get a yard sign. Sign up to get a yard oh, sign. I didn't know there were yard signs. Okay. Well, we'll have a Not few. Yet. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think what I envision for Boulder is a community based on caring for each other, mm -hmm. and that includes everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and you know some people need more care than others right um, some people are doing just fine they don't need a ton and like we have to get away from um we have to get away from this individualistic idea that we're all individual actors and responsible for ourselves the, yep. the truth is for me is we're all responsible for each other and i care a great deal about the proponents of this measure, their children and their safety. And I think together, if we, we build a caring community from the bottom up, 
I think we'll see all this issue go away. I agree completely. And I would say we cannot have public safety when there are people experiencing extreme lack of safety in our community. And when that starts to impact others, our first response should be like, what have we done wrong here? What should we do to fix it? Not a stopgap, not a, I need you to be out of here, away from my site. Actual solutions. Yeah, uh, and (laughs) I, um, I believe all of these systematic issues manifest in our in our society, you know, so um, if you see something that's like an illness, we should treat the illness. Uh, she, she treat the, you know, treat the um, cause. Yeah, the cause. Yeah. yeah so um, and that will cure the illness. And I, I'm tired of this world where we think we can all work individually and somehow survive we, survive. we can't we're, we're in this together well thanks so much for taking time to uh to tell us about this do you have any any parting shots you feel like uh we, co- we, co- we covered the issue pretty good I think. yeah i think so yeah. we're, we're well, glad to be able to speak you know that's the thing is like thank you nice so much for to... uh taking the initiative to to broaden the conversation i feel like it you know it deserves uh it deserves a nuanced conversation, and and uh, just because it has kids and safety doesn't mean it's a slam dunk. That mm. and in fact, I appreciate that you've you know helped me understand that it's it's probably not a good measure right. to vote for. So right. thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Gonna find me a residential pedestrian district where I can gracefully grow older. Gonna spend my remaining years. Sharing Boulder. Thank you for listening to Sharing Boulder. Please support the podcast by sharing it with your friends and neighbors. You can contact me at linktree.com slash philipogren, which you can find by searching for Linktree Philip Ogren, or by visiting sharingboulder.us, where you can also find show notes and previous episodes. This episode of Sharing Boulder was produced by Philip Ogren and edited by Katherine Avery. The music was created by Nathaniel Ogren and Sack Lunch. Keep sharing, Boulder.